This episode is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Named the best podcast of 2018 by Apple. Tons of fascinating guests. Untold stories you won't hear anywhere else. Expand your wisdom and discover other perspectives that you've never considered before with The Jordan Harbinger Show. Join Jordan as he interviews high-profile people as well as intriguing personalities. Each episode features a discussion that might just take you anywhere. I recommend episode 970, where Jordan and guest Annie Jacobson talk nuclear annihilation. How likely is it? How scared should you be? And what comes after? There's also episode 886 with David Farina, which delves into the wacky world of flat earthers. These episodes are great starting points, but you're sure to find deep, interesting, and thought-provoking topics throughout Jordan's catalog. Turn off the music and turn up the wisdom with The Jordan Harbinger Show. We really enjoy this show and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. Teachers these days are brave, putting up with kids, putting up with other teachers, all the while knowing something bad could happen. Yet they're still out there, teaching our future generations. Obviously, many teachers have seen some downright creepy things. As such, here are 10 dark confessions from teachers. If you want to be in a future video like this one, go to darknessprevails.org to share your story. We Never Saw Them by Mr. R. Two years short of a decade ago, I taught at a local high school. During my time there, there were some strange things and strange people that I've encountered, but this experience, while maybe not the most extreme, was probably the most unsettling. The security at our school was quite lax. We may have had security guards and cameras, but the guards typically remained at the front of the school, though they would patrol the hallways. I always thought the school needed more people, because there's only so much a camera can do. On that particular day, it started just as any other, and while a good handful of people, myself included, were not happy about being dragged out of bed, everything seemed perfectly normal. Grumpy, maybe, but normal. The first few hours passed, still normal. Lunch came around, and that was perfectly fine, too. Loud, but fine. In fact, the rest of the day went according to plan. My coworkers and I were not expecting anything. Fast forward to the next day, about an hour or so into the workday, a video was spread around by the principal. We turned on our computers, booted up the projectors, and watched. For the next 10 minutes or so, we watched someone filming themselves going around the school. The doors are locked before and after the students arrived so it must have been another student who let this person inside. We never see the person's face, they never speak, but we continue to watch as they make their way through the building. They pass by a few classroom doors, 
They peek into an ongoing class through some small glass panels on the door. They walk upstairs and then back down, continuing to film, and they manage to avoid all of us that day. They were here for at least a few hours, but we never saw them. Security was none the wiser. I'm not sure about the security cameras. I wasn't notified of anything regarding that, but to be honest, I worried that some of those cameras were just there for show. Anyway, the video ends with this stranger, still faceless and voiceless, leaving the building. The video, as we would come to learn later that evening, was sent to one of the local news stations. I'm taken aback as I finish watching the video, and I'm wondering if we're just going to continue on with the day as normal. I mean, we obviously understand the possible severity of the situation, but we did not want to fuel any unwanted fear the students would have. But then, that's when the phone calls start. Some teachers go back to work, some are on the phone and others are typing up emails here and there. Students are calling their families and their parents are calling in angry. Security is brought together to have a nice chat and there are many would-be explanations to parents reassurances that everything would be okay. A handful of other teachers cancel their classes for the day to help monitor the building, but thankfully, nothing else happens. Ever since then, things have changed. Things are stricter, the security is more advanced and focused, and now the guards are forced to get up more often and patrol the school. Everything has a larger sense of seriousness to it. It could have ended badly if someone let the wrong person in, and for a while, there was a paranoia lingering here. And still, in the back of our minds, we wonder, who was it that came into our school? Who was it that spied on our classrooms? And what point were they trying to make? Part of me is afraid that they may come back, and this time, things may be different. The Ritual by Anonymous. This happened many years ago. I recently remembered the experience after seeing one of my past students at a restaurant. The nightmares of what this student and her friends had done came rushing back to me. I'm a third grade teacher and this incident had started somewhere from January to April. Let's name the students in question, Tiana, Kennedy, and Darlene. Now I want everyone to know these girls were incredibly sweet and very smart. That's why this story comes as a shock to me. I remember it happened one day, after tons of studying from an upcoming test, the children were exhausted, and I decided to reward them and take them out for recess. I was reading a Harry Potter book, flipping away at the pages and occasionally making sure my students were all accounted for. After a few minutes or so, I look up to see a strange sight. There were three of my girls sitting around a sewer drain in a circle. I was a little weirded out when I saw this, so I go up to them to ask them what they're doing. I wanted to warn them away from it in case they were going to hurt themselves, get something gross on them, or if they were trying to throw things into the drain. As I got closer, I felt uneasy, seeing that they all had their eyes closed, but they were grimacing at whatever they were thinking. Suddenly, they all open their eyes simultaneously and gasp. My heart drops as together they all say, 
she died. And then they all turned and looked at me. I asked them who they are talking to or who they were talking about, and they said nothing. They just smiled. I figured it was time to go inside, so I rounded up the rest of the students and we headed back in. Those three girls didn't say anything for the rest of the day. They just kept the same blank expressions on their faces, as if something had deeply traumatized them. Weeks go by after that without any significant incidents, just strange occurrences, such as them piling random objects like rocks and sticks and drawing things in the dirt. I just couldn't shake what the girls had said. Soon, it came to the day right before testing. I took the children out again for an extra recess just to relieve some stress, but this time, I kept a close eye on the trio. As I'm scanning the playground, I see that those three are completely avoiding certain parts of the playground. More specifically, any of the parts of the playground that were close to the forest surrounding the school. Eventually, the curiosity got to me, so I pulled Darlene to the side and asked, is everything okay with you? She was hesitant and avoided eye contact with me, but eventually, with a shaky voice, she said, she told us not to go near the trees. She's in there. Thinking this might be someone going around the park talking to the girls, I ask, who is she? Darlene no longer wanted to respond to me. She just shook her head and shrugged her shoulders, as if to say, I don't know. I couldn't take that answer, so I let her walk back to Tiana and Kennedy and called Kennedy over. I asked her the same questions, but unlike Darlene, Kennedy said, it's a lady. She said that she used to work in the camp until her husband ended her life. Now I should mention that next to our school was a camp that was permanently closed down and it can't be found on the maps for some reason, which even before this, I thought it was odd. But as Kennedy continued, she explained to me, the lady's body is somewhere in there. Mortified, I again bring all the kids into the school and I have my co-teacher watch them as I speak to the principal who tells me it's just the children's imagination. They probably just watched a scary movie. But no, this was all too specific to be imaginary. The night following this incident was unbearable. I had the kids' horrified expressions etched into my mind, what they said embedded into my head. I hopped onto my laptop to see if there were any news articles I could find on it, but nothing. No arrest, no police records or anything. Maybe it was their imagination. That's what I hoped. The next morning, I'm setting out pencils and scratch paper for the tests, and as the kids come in, I see that the girls are all sitting together, closest to the window facing the forest. I disregard it as I'm trying to prepare the students for a four hour long test. I go to sit at my desk, but from the corner of my eye, I see movement. My heart stops. I turn my head and I see the three girls looking out the window, staring at a woman in the forest with long black hair and bloodshot eyes. She was wearing a white, tattered dress, 
She was looking at me, and for a moment we stared at each other until she stepped away and the darkness of the forest consumed her. Literally, in an instant, she was gone. The girls then turn to me, and Tiana says, That's her. I had that same classroom for years, and never had I ever had such a terrifying experience. The school year had finished, and on the last day, Tiana had come to me and explained what had happened. She said they were sitting around the sewer drain that day because they had heard whispers coming from it, whispers calling their names. It told them to grab hands and close their eyes, told them that they all had to imagine something in their heads. This image was apparently a sloshing trash bag set at the edge of the forest, and from the bag fell a woman's hand. I was told that that was when the vision stopped, from there, they were able to piece together what may have happened, and apparently the story goes as so. This camp woman and her husband had been working at that closed camp near the school. Her husband had been having an affair with another woman. Those two conspired to put an end to his wife, and the mistress dragged her body into the forest, but what never added up to them was who the red-eyed ghost belonged to. They wanted to believe it was the wife who tragically passed away, so the kids offered their help to her, but after finally seeing this woman on testing day, they quickly realized that this wasn't the same woman, and that maybe they had helped something that was simply pretending to be her. Stalker of a Teacher by Cawthro My foster mother was an angel. She loved all her kids and her students. So why this happened was beyond me. This is one of her stories. When I came to live with her, there were only girls in her home, six of us in all, and they made me feel like this was more than just a foster home. It was a family. She also taught second grade and always had the problem child in her class every year. We lived in a two-story home with a large yard and an in-ground pool. About a year after I moved in, we started getting calls and my foster mother began to come home upset and stressed, more so than usual. I happened to answer the phone on one of these calls and I was immediately shocked. There was a man on the other end saying horrible things, things a kid my age shouldn't be hearing because he thought he was talking to my foster mother. It got to the point where only I or my mother would pick up the calls. I was a fearless kid, a kid that did not like people harassing my family. I tried to be intimidating despite being so short for my age. Anyway, the creepy caller went on for six or more months. It was a time before we had caller ID. My foster mother did talk to the cops, and they put a trace on the line, though the calls didn't last long enough to really get anywhere. Soon, things got worse. I began to notice a man with sunglasses. He always had a hat on, and he'd be standing there by our house at night, just staring toward the front door. I would tell my foster mother every time I saw him, and she would call the cops, but he'd be long gone by then. 
This happened a few times, and unfortunately, the cops never found him. I was kind of hoping he'd try to do it again, now that the cops were getting tired of his shenanigans. He started using our names in the calls. Whenever I picked up, he would call me by name, try to talk to me before I hung up. For three years, this went on, until he began to hurt our pets, particularly our cats and a duck we even had. They kept getting injured. It happened every time they went outside, like it wasn't an accident, more like someone was targeting them. In fear that things could get worse, my foster mother sent the pets over to her friend. At least there they'd be safe and away from this psycho. Don't worry though, because things were about to come to a dark end. I'll remember that night forever. My foster mother picked up the call. Of course, it was him again, but for some reason, instead of hanging up, she stayed on the line. She was wide-eyed. Her mouth had dropped open, and I could see her eyes flooding with tears. And then I saw her jump, as if someone had come around the corner and scared her. The cops were called, this time to the guy's residence. That was the night everything was revealed. The guy was just a 16-year-old kid. He took his own life that night while being on the phone with my foster mother. It turns out he was an old student of my mother, someone who had been expelled from school. He had mental issues and began an unhealthy obsession or fixation on my mom. We never figured out why. There may have never been a reason, but in spite of that, it does not excuse the fact that my foster mother and her kids were scarred for this experience. Don't Lock Him In by Kate. I work as a teaching assistant for a private school, and because of that, I've got quite a few creepy stories to share. This story takes place about a year ago. I work at a private school in California, and I work with our after-school care program. My coworker, M, and I have always thought our work was haunted, but I always knew it was, because doors would open and close on their own, because we'd hear voices and footsteps when no one was around, because toys would be left in strange places after they were put away, and quite often, we'd see things out of the corner of our eyes. You name it, it probably happened there. It also didn't help that we were always the last people on campus, lending to even more confusion as to what the source of these occurrences were. While all of these experiences were definitely unsettling, this story was the most disturbing. Like I said earlier, we're pretty sure it's haunted and decided to go around the building with holy water, as well as incense, praying and telling whatever spirits that lingered there that they needed to leave. Hoping and thinking that this did work, we went on home. The next day, Em and I were working with pre-K. In our pre-K building, there's a loft. Em was sitting at the table right in front of the loft when one of our pre-K kids came and sat on her lap. She had her head on Em's shoulder and told her, there's a little boy up there. M looked up at the loft and saw that there was no one there. 
She smiled and called the little girl silly for trying to trick her and replied, there's no one up there. But the little girl was adamant, sitting up and saying, no, he's right there, but you can't see him because he's hiding from you. Needless to say, M was creeped out, but told the girl, well, he can come down here and play when he's ready. The girl said okay and laid her head back on M's shoulder. A couple of minutes later, the girl whips her head up and exclaims, but don't lock him in there. He doesn't want to be locked in there. Now M is thoroughly freaked out and tells me what happened. In doing so, I make a horrifying realization. While going through the building with holy water the night before, I hadn't used the holy water on the loft and I began to wonder if that had anything to do with it. We had already locked it up for the night and hadn't thought to unlock it. Now we were a bit creeped out, but we were also quite excited. And this is where we fell into the horror movie cliche. We had bought a Ouija board the previous Halloween, but never used it. It simply sat in its box in the back of my car for nearly a year. We decided to use that board. We didn't want to be caught using it in the school, so we drove down the street to the marina and we began our session. Now, Ouija boards are sketchy, and though we ended up getting the name Daniel and a string of strange numbers, there was no telling if it was just us or if it was actually real. Still, it was fun and maybe a bit unnerving. We closed the session early, wanting to figure out what the numbers may mean. I thought at first that it was a phone number because there were exactly 10 numbers. I ended up calling one of the numbers. My veins turned to ice when my coworker answered. A coworker I didn't even talk to, didn't have their number, nor did him. Yet here I was, after a Ouija board session, talking to them from a strange and random series of numbers. I quickly hung up without saying a word. We went back to the board, our skepticism almost entirely annihilated, along with our sense of fun. We asked the board one last thing. We wondered if something bad was going to happen to that coworker. It said yes. We boxed the Ouija board back up and still prayed deep down that it was just us influencing the Ouija board, just our subconscious moving the planchette around. The next day back at the school, I went up to the little girl from before and asked her about the boy in the loft. I asked her if she knew his name and what he looked like. She was quiet at first, seemed to be thinking, until she answered with, his name's Daniel, and he's got dark hair and dark eyes, and his skin is almost white. This gave me chills. I asked her if she meant that his skin was pale, but she went and grabbed a marker and said no, it's like this. I'm not sure what she meant by that, but me and M were both freaked out. A few weeks go by and not much more happens. It was the weekend. I remember hearing one of the coworkers, the one I had called after the Ouija board session, was out on a trip with a couple of other coworkers. Altogether, they were a group of five, traveling to the Route 91 Harvest Festival in Las Vegas. She attended a certain Jason Aldean concert and she only barely managed to survive the tragedy that went on there.
when that crazy man in his hotel room took the lives of so many people attending the concert. As soon as our coworkers returned, we were overjoyed that they were okay, but the activity, the strange occurrences, they were back in full force, so much so that the students were beginning to see and hear things and reporting them almost every day. I couldn't help but feel bad that we used the Ouija board, and I felt like we made things worse trying to contact and communicate with things we shouldn't have been talking to. So we closed and sealed the board, and we continue to ignore the things that happen to this day. They seem to have gone quiet for now, and I hope it stays quiet. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Following the Sunset by Indy I work as a teacher's aide. It was our summer break which meant no work and no school for some time. It was my time to do things for me and unwind, because on a normal day at work, I needed a lot of energy to run around, play with, teach the children, and calm multiple screaming tantrums or little fights. I was still going to college at the time. College was papers, presentations, and tests nearly nonstop, so summer break was my time for peace and tranquility. One of my favorite things to do was to watch the sun rise and set over the sea. On that particular day, I decided to follow the sunset on the cliffs at the most western point of the island. As always, I went alone. The seaside cliff is a beautiful place where the waves make continuous music against the rocks, sometimes gentle, other times wild, but always beautiful. I breathed in the salt air and began to follow the sun as it made its retreat. I was careful, because even though this was a tranquil place, it could also be dangerous. The sea constantly ate away at the rocks, which created many holes that a person could easily fall through. Cracks were everywhere, and one had to respect the fact that the ground could give way beneath you at any time. Again, my confidence on walking this cliff was built up over many short walks and fishing trips I made. So this time I went further than I'd ever traveled before. 
I walked for as long as I could see the sun in the sky, only stopping when there was no more open cliff to walk, and I was soon at the edge of the thick, darkening tree line. There was only a gentle breeze, and being the whimsical person I was, I began to sing, thinking that I was alone. As I was singing, I heard a branch break in the tree line, but I thought nothing of it. I continued to sing, letting the view take in when I heard not only a branch, but some leaves crunching. I turned around. This was the first time that I realized that although there were still some lights in the sky, I could see nothing beyond the first two rows of trees in the tree line. It was pitch dark there. I got the sense that I needed to leave, but it was still so beautiful. I was stupefied because I decided to finish the song that I felt inside me. Nervously, I finished up the song. When the crunching of the leaves came again, this time much closer, I turned around, scanning the tree line once more, but I could see nothing. Sighing, I told myself that I was worrying about nothing. Then came the sound of a dozen different branches at once breaking and heavy, hurried steps, steps that sounded like they were coming towards me. In the fading light on the eroded cliffside, I ran, hard, fast, jumping over the holes to the deep, staying close to the tree line in spite of my pursuer, because if I got any closer to the cliff's edge, I'd surely perish. I cannot recall when I kicked off my slippers, but I had them in hand, running in the wind all the way to my car. It was then that I was thankful that I was a former high school athlete. Those skills came in handy at last. I wasted no time getting in my car. I didn't fumble my keys. I got in, locked my doors, and sped to the most populated, well-lit, high-traffic gas station in that area. It was only then, when I knew I was safe, that I sat in my car and pulled out over 10 fairly deep and slightly painful splinters from each foot. I never went back to those cliffs alone again, and for the first time in my life, I was glad to be back to work as a teacher's aide, happy when that summer came to an end. Close Call by Anonymous This happened several years ago when I worked at a very small school. I was the designated pre-algebra, algebra one and two, and geometry tutor. So I got to spend time with just about every single one of the high school-aged kids that attended. I was also younger than the other teachers and was able to relate to the students more. So I was naturally more popular with the kids and they would often tell me things more easily. One day at lunch, one of the girls came up to me and told me that one of the guys was trying to touch her and make inappropriate comments. I told my superiors, hoping that they would handle it, but they all gave me the she's encouraging it by the way she's dressed spill and did nothing. I was kind of mortified by this, so I asked the other students, especially some of the girls' guy friends, to help keep watch and let me know if something else happens. I needed proof if I was going to talk with the principal, because the older teachers were too self-righteous to even try. The same situation happened with one or two other girls, each of them saying that he either tried to touch them or had said gross things to them about their bodies. I tried again with my superiors, but they would do nothing. 
Everyone started avoiding this kid, though. Turns out his name was Darren. He was a little offbeat, like he'd just say random things in the middle of a conversation or in class, or he'd just stare at the wall all day long without so much as touching a pencil. Days passed, and I heard that he'd threatened a teacher one day, but I had no proof until he threatened me. I'd been trying to get him to focus when he got angry. God, Darren exclaimed angrily, could just slice you up. The comment turned my stomach, but I tried to shrug it off, like all the other teachers were doing. But I just couldn't. The event at Sandy Hook had happened just recently, and I had been listening to news reports about the assailant, talking about his mental illness and so much of what they said made little danger alarms sound off in my head, because they all reminded me of Darren. The guy even brought a screwdriver to school once, kept it in his pocket, and no one did anything. The principal even saw it and said, I can't do anything because it's just a tool which I understood, but I was still alarmed at the lack of action from anyone. I went home that night, and I spoke to my parents about it. My dad gave me something to think about. If you take all this before your boss, the least you can say to yourself is that you tried, because if this kid snaps and no one is prepared, you're going to have to fight for your life or act as a shield for your students. You shouldn't even be considering this, that alone should tell you to listen to your instincts. So the next day I listened to him and I went to my boss and I put my job on the line. I told him about the girls who complained, about the threatening of teachers and about my own personal experiences. He was receptive but cautious and asked me if I could bring forward students to back up what I was saying. He needed more proof and so I did. I got the girls to come in one by one and give their statements. I was surprised when other students began to volunteer to give their own statements, particularly the two guys who sat next to Darren. They knew something was happening, and they were just as scared as I was. Their statements chilled me to the bone. They both admitted that Darren muttered to himself all day long about weapons and taking things lives. He had once whispered to them, about how he would rip out their insides just for everyone to see. They had seen things in his backpack on multiple occasions that shouldn't have been inside a school, and they expressed to the principal that they were frightened of him. My boss was livid, particularly with the teachers I worked with for not being more observant and for not telling him about the girls who were having trouble with Darren. He called the school that Darren had attended before ours and found out that Darren had been expelled for threatening and then attacking a teacher. Needless to say, I was pretty furious myself that the school had accepted him without a deeper check, eager for the money his parents would pay and not even bothering to check as to why Darren never seemed to stay in the same school for long. My boss called Darren's mother and she warily ensured him that she'd be pulling Darren out of attendance. I never saw him again after that. The school I worked at has since closed for multiple reasons, but I'm pretty glad because it was so irresponsibly ran. Last year, with the tragedy in Florida happening, it made me feel nauseous, especially seeing the face of who did it. He reminded me so much of Darren. 
The Stalker Kid by Janet B. I used to work as a teacher in the Midwest. I was a fifth grade teacher specializing in math, but after my first year there, we were designated as homeroom teachers, spreading out our workflow from just one subject to several others. Our school had fifth and sixth graders, and for many students, that's the age when things get weird. Hormones begin to run amok and control you as much as they can. You begin to notice the opposite gender, things like that. Well, I had a particular student, a double flunky named Fred, who seemed to stare a little bit longer at me than he should. At first, I was flattered. As far as I knew, it was the first time a student had eyes for me like that. And as I was in the middle of a midlife crisis, it made me smile, but it wasn't something I would ever let continue if it got too far. And too far, it definitely did, but not in the way that I imagined. One week, Fred was entirely absent from school, and by the time the weekend was approaching, and I still hadn't heard word from him or his parents, I was beginning to get worried. That was also the same week I began to see a car following me wherever I drove. It was a light blue Ford sedan. The other thing I noticed about it besides its make and color was how it was driven. The person didn't seem very good at driving, and as they followed me, I saw them hit curbs on multiple occasions. Instead of thinking I was being stalked or something like that, I instead told myself that they simply lived around my neighborhood. Maybe they were new to the block, and maybe they even had the same work hours, hence why I would see them every day after work. Well, one night, I found out the hard way exactly what was going on behind everything. That weekend, I believe it was Saturday night, I was coming up with a cold, and I was struggling to get to sleep. Eventually, I went to sleep for maybe an hour or two before waking up with a runny nose and a sore throat, but that's not the only thing that I noticed. I wasn't alone in my room anymore. Sitting in a nearby rocking chair was a face that I recognized, but a face that made me jump and scream. It was Fred. As soon as I screamed, he ran to my window, which was apparently open, probably the way he came in. He jumped out, shut the window behind him, and took off in the same light blue car that had been following me. He drove away, flooring the car down the road. I called the cops, and Fred was soon found. Turns out, Fred's parents were no longer around. The reason he hadn't been coming to school was because his parents had simultaneously passed away. Apparently, they were addicts, and they had OD'd on something. Leaving Fred alone, confused and unsure as to what to do. Knowing this, I felt kind of guilty as to the way I reacted when I saw him. But wouldn't you have screamed? Seeing some stranger in your room? Fred was taken to a foster home, and that was the last I ever saw of him. And I sincerely hope he got the help he needed. Depression by Gary. This may be one of the shortest stories you've ever read, but it is a true and terrifying experience I've had while teaching. You asked for it. In 2009, 
I worked as a gym teacher, which is hardly a teacher really. Just telling kids to run, making sure they spotted each other when lifting weights, and making sure they played by the rules in dodgeball or basketball. It was a fun and easy job, but I never really got close to the students. I wasn't really about that. I just wanted my paycheck. Now the boys and girls had separate locker rooms, and back then we could have girls and boys in the same class. On that day, I remember exactly what happened. I did the roll call as everyone sat in rows as they were assigned. After I found everyone was present, I sent them off to the locker rooms to get changed into their gym clothes. When they all came back, I soon realized that one of the girls was missing. Now, I simply thought she was taking a little bit too long to get dressed, so we just wait for her and get the day started. About a half hour goes by, and I remember that the girl still hasn't come out of the locker room. I have one of the girls go in and check. They quickly run into the girl's locker room, and what follows next is the loudest, most chilling scream I have ever heard. It's a sound movies really can't replicate. I'll never forget it. Worried that something happened, I did something I wasn't supposed to, and I ran into the girl's locker room. I found the girl first who I'd sent in, and then I saw what she was screaming at. The girl that hadn't come out of the locker room had never come out because she had hung herself from a pipe on the ceiling. She had hung herself with a pair of dirty gym shorts. Her eyes were bulging, and that was all I wanted to take in before I looked away, bringing the other girl with me so that she no longer had to see it. I quickly dialed up the principal and the cops. There's really not much more to this. They found the girl, and the faculty was only later told by her friends that she had been having trouble at home. She was autistic, this part I knew but her mother teased her about it, apparently angry at her daughter for not being just normal, as she put it. Sadly, no one was prosecuted, and everyone in that class had therapy for a while, including me. The principal forced me to, and I didn't mind, because that image, I'll never get out of my head. Across the Hall by Mathis Mathematics I'm retired now, but back in the 90s, I worked as a history teacher for a local middle school. Our students were aged from 10 to 12. You'll soon know why I'm telling you this. Anyway, our school had halls, first hall and second hall. Depending on how well you did in elementary school, that's what decided what hall you went into. I taught history in first hall. As such, my students loved to pay attention loved to participate in class, and there were hardly any people who disrupted. According to my fellow teachers in that hall, they saw the same. Students ready to learn, young minds ready to grow. But the problem that we would soon face wasn't coming from the students, but from among the staff. I was the first one to find out, because it was on a day that I had a lot of paperwork and grading to do. I didn't know beforehand that I needed the extra time, so my other coworkers didn't know I'd be staying late that day. It was a last minute decision. When everyone was leaving for the day, I noticed that the teacher next door, my coworker, Mr. Hobbs, who taught algebra, was also staying late. I didn't think much of it. We all had extra paperwork from time to time, and some of us, myself included, 
would rather stay at work to finish it up because it's too easy to get sidetracked at home. Around five o'clock, two hours after everyone else left, I had run out of staples, so I was going to go next door to ask for some extra ones. When I went over to his door, I didn't even bother to knock. I walked right in to find him, cornering a young girl who was probably 10 or 11 years old, one of his students, and rubbing his hand down her side. He was doing it very obviously, intimately. I also noticed that her shirt was off, and she looked scared. I slammed the door wide open, and I yelled to her to leave the room. Mr. Hobbs, who was much older than me, an elderly man, but still strong enough to overpower a girl like that, looked at me with nervous anger in his eyes. I didn't know what was going to happen, until he suddenly ran at me. I was carrying a textbook, and I remember rearing it back, ready to swing it at him if I had to. But instead of trying to hurt me, he ran out into the hallway and left for the parking lot. I called the principal up, and I went home for the day. The girl, I don't know where she went. Perhaps her parents picked her up, I'm not sure. But I do know Mr. Hobbs never went back to school, because he would be spending his time in a jail cell. It's part of a teacher's job to look out for their students. So people who do this to their own students, I have absolutely no respect for. The Previous Teacher by Kaylin K. I work at an elementary school. I've only been here about a year and strange things don't stop happening. And unfortunately, I only think it's happening to me. You see, when I got this job, I was replacing a teacher who recently passed away. Already sounds creepy, doesn't it? Well, it was, and for a very good reason. From my very first day, I've been seeing things. It's only when I'm alone, which many times has caused me to go behind on my work not wanting to stay after hours when I needed to, in fear of what I might see. Well, let me get on to those sightings and experiences. On the very first day, I had my first sighting. I was packing up for the day. The kids had just left. I was putting things into my purse when I looked up and I saw someone toward the back of the room. It happened so quickly. All I could really see was someone exit the back door of the class since our classes had two doors. I saw long brown hair and a brown, dirty dress. I went out the first, closer door, and I looked out into the hallway. It only took me a second to get there, but no one was there. I walked over to the second door where she had exited, and still, I saw nothing more. I thought I was seeing things, so I shook it off, and I went home. The next experience happened when I was staying about 30 minutes late. It was storming outside, and I remember it was already quite dark thanks to the clouds overhead. It was an eerie setting. So when I looked up from my work at one point, out toward the first door that had a window on it, I saw a silhouette of a woman, and I quickly recognized that long brown hair. I screamed because the woman wasn't really a woman anymore. There were insects on her face, maggots in her hair. She looked more like a freaking zombie than a person. 
Then, with a flash of lightning, she was gone, and I was packing up at a record speed, unable to convince myself to stay, unable to convince myself that it was just my imagination. Ever since then, I'd been seeing this figure out of the corner of my eye, with brief glimpses here and there. I try to just deal with it, and I'm waiting to be transferred to a nearby school. Hopefully, it goes through, because who likes being scared when they're at work? Hopefully, we can see now that teachers have stressful jobs. When they're not dealing with kids that can often be disruptive or rude, they're risking their own lives to protect those students and often seeing some very strange and creepy things. Things that you would not want to see in your day-to-day life, let alone while you're working an already stressful job. So thank you teachers for putting up with us and for doing what you do. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. Don't forget, you can send me your stories at any time at darknessprevails.org. If you want to support my channel, you can click the shop button below and grab some Darkness Prevails merchandise. It's also available at morbidmonsters.com. Or you can go to patreon.com slash darknessprevails and donate any amount. Then you'll get your name in the credits at the end of these videos. Thank you. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous video about 10 real Mexican ghost stories. Hoshi Art says, Oh God, the worst fear of every Mexican is a sandal. Uh, I don't know how that feels. My dad only beat me with jumper cables. Kane Sevenify says, La Llorona, La Lechusa. You know, I'm kind of sad I didn't get any stories on those, but maybe next time around. Dope Vibe Stats says, Any Five Guys stories? Look, I know you're talking about the restaurant, but that sounds way too kinky to pass up. Damaged Brain says, Do you have ligma? Yes, I do, but I'm taking medication regularly, and hopefully I'll be cured by next year. You guys are so caring. And Brody says, Do some Japanese or Chinese horror stories, please. That'd be awesome. You hear that, folks? Send me those Japanese and Chinese stories, please. Anyways, guys, thanks so much for tuning in to another Darkness Prevails episode. More scary stories are coming soon, so stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my patrons who continue to donate and support my channel. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.